it's amazing the number of sons who follow in their father's footsteps. I'm sure you know, or some of you know this guy, Michael Schumacher. He won the Formula One World Championship for a record-breaking seven times. And last year, his son, Mick Schumacher, yeah, didn't think of a different name for him, uh, he won the European Formula Three World Championships. And this year, he's in Formula Two, with also a plan to go into Formula One very soon. Then there's also lots of boys who have followed in their dad's uh, footsteps into a career in soccer. So there's Peter Schmeichel. And his son, Casper, who are both famous goalkeepers. Frank Lampard, who followed in the footsteps of his dad, who, by the way, was called Frank Lampard. Uh, and then there was Zinedine Zidane. That's a bit of a tongue twister. He is a very famous soccer player. And all four of his sons are also soccer players at various stages uh, in their career. And then a similar thing has happened in the world of film. With film stars. So up the top left is Tom and Colin Hanks. Then down the bottom is Clint and Scott Eastwood. And then there's Arnie uh, and his son Patrick Schwarzenegger. And then closer to home, it happens in politics too. One of our Wexford TDs is James Brown. And he's the son of John Brown, who is also a TD for Wexford. And then some of us can see that in our own lives as well. Now, I haven't followed in my dad's career. My older brother did that. They're both electrical engineers. But he was here last week. He's actually not here today because he fell and injured himself eh, through the week. But most of you know that I look incredibly like him, don't I? It's ridiculous. The older I'm getting, the more and more I'm getting like my dad. Not just in looks or hairstyle, but also in the mannerisms that I have, I can see myself doing exactly the same thing that my dad would do. But hopefully that's okay. Because Jesus was just like his dad. The last time that we were in John's Gospel, we saw Jesus heal a man who'd been disabled for 38 years. He was lying beside a pool, this man. He was waiting for the water to be stirred Because he believed that if he got in first after the water was stirred, then he would be healed. But Jesus, when he came across him, Jesus healed him instantly. And he commanded him to get up, pick up your mat and walk. This was not only a clear and undeniable demonstration of his healing, but it was also a direct challenge to the empty religious traditions of his day that couldn't solve his issues. But when the Jews saw this man carrying his mat, they didn't care about the fact that he'd been freed from a lifetime of suffering. All they cared about was the fact that he was breaking their rules about carrying a burden on the Sabbath day. So in John chapter 5, verse 16, it says this. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. In their mixed up minds, 
These men thought that they were protecting God's honor by persecuting Jesus, God's Son. But Jesus did not shrink from this confrontation. Rather, he confronted it head on and declared that he had the right to do all of this because he was just like his father. So we're going to read what follows on from that. In John chapter 5, and we're going to read from verse 17 down to verse 30. So John chapter 5, verse 17 says this, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all He does. Yes, to your amazement, He will show Him even greater things than these. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom He is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. That all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. He who does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth. A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear and my father is just for I seek not to please myself but him who sent me. So first of all, in this passage, Jesus claimed that he was like his father in his work. The law about resting on the Sabbath was based on God's work of creation. So the fourth of the Ten Commandments said this. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh. So God told the nation of Israel to keep the seventh day as special 
as a day of rest because he created the world in six days and rested from that work on the seventh day. But this did not mean that God actually stopped working on the seventh day. God didn't just step back after creating the world in six days and just let the world go on as it was and just do nothing from then on. Instead, Jesus said, my father is always at his work. And I too am working. In actual fact, if God hadn't continued working, then this universe would cease to exist. Life would end. For this world to survive, God needs to hold it together. And as a son of God, Jesus is also working continually for the good of this creation. He is sustaining all things by his powerful word. It's God that holds this world together, that ensures that it can survive. And if that's the case, then in healing this man on the Sabbath day, Jesus was not going against God. Instead, he was just following in his father's footsteps. He was continually to work, working for the good of his creation and the honour of his name, just as his father was doing. So Jesus was working just as his father was working. And this was Jesus' priority. Because Jesus was focused on doing the work that his father gave him to do. Look at verse 19 of our passage. Jesus said, the son can do nothing by himself. He can, only, he can do only what he sees his father doing. We shouldn't think of the work of Jesus as independent of the work of the Father. Instead, Jesus was working with his Father, doing what he was called to do. And he did this because he had a desire to please and honour his Father. At the end of our reading, Jesus said, I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. And we've seen this already in the, in the book of John. Remember when Jesus waited by the well at Sychar when the woman went off into the town to bring the people back? Jesus said to, this, to his disciples, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So Jesus was not just committed to continually working like his father. He was also committed to continually working with his father. And if today we are his children, God's children, if because if we've put our faith in Jesus and we have become a child of God, then God is looking for us to have that same kind of commitment. Now, we're not saved through our works. We're not saved by what we do. We don't become children of God through our efforts. Our identity, our value, our position in God's family is not based on and it's not maintained by what we do or what we can accomplish. 
It is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Our identity, our value, our position as children of God is given to us as a free gift that God has given to us through simple faith in Jesus and through his sacrificial death and his glorious resurrection. So if we want to be a child of God, we need to accept that as a gift, not try and work for it. But although we're not saved by our works, we are saved to do good works. So we're not saved by our works, but we are saved to do those good works. Paul, in the next verse in Ephesians chapter 2, he says this, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now that doesn't mean that having a rest is wrong. Neither does it mean that our value is diminished if we're not able to work like we used to. But it does mean that just like with Jesus, we are called to follow in our Father's footsteps. We've been given a calling. We've been given work to do. We're called to use the resources, the abilities, the opportunities that God gives to us to work for the good of his creation and for the honour of his name. This is what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 5. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. That they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. We honour God and we declare who he is as we, sell, as we serve him faithfully, doing what God has called us to do, what he has created us to do, what he has equipped us to do. So like Jesus, we are called to follow in our Father's footsteps in working for the world. But of course, we can't follow in, Jesus, in, in our Father's footsteps in every way. Jesus, he was unique in his relationship with his Father. Jesus revealed this when he called God. He didn't say, when he talked about God, he didn't talk about our Father or your Father. He talked about my Father. He was claiming to have a relationship with God that was unique, that was different from everybody else's relationship with God. And the Jews who were listening, they actually recognised this. They got this. Look at verse 18. When Jesus said, My father, for this reason the Jews tried all the harder to kill him, not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now they didn't just want to attack him. Now they wanted to kill him. Because when Jesus claimed this unique relationship with God, the Jews believed that Jesus was trying to make himself equal with God. He was blaspheming. He was trying to make himself like another God beside God. 
And they recognized that that was wrong. And he deserved death. And to some extent, they got it right, these Jews. Because Jesus was claiming to have a relationship with God that was unique. And in doing so, he was claiming to be equal with God. But of course, where they got it wrong was that they were assuming that Jesus was trying to make himself something that he wasn't. They were assuming that Jesus was trying to reach up to a position that he didn't have any right to have. Whereas the truth was that from eternity past, Jesus was always equal with his Father. That's what we read right at the start of this Gospel. In John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The Word is another title for Jesus. So in the beginning, He was there. At the beginning, He was with God. At the beginning, He was God. This is the unique identity of Jesus. He is unlike any other human being who has ever lived on this planet. Yes, he is fully human, but he's also fully God. He is equal in deity with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. With Jesus, we can truly say, like Father, like Son. Or as Jesus said to Philip later on in this Gospel, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Now if you fully understand that, you can come and explain it all to me later, please. Because I think that is beyond our comprehension. I don't think any of us will fully understand the doctrine of the Trinity. That there is one God who eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they are all fully God. And yet, this is the conclusion that John wants us to come to in this Gospel. He wants us to get to the point where we say, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That's what we read in John chapter 20, 31, why John wrote his gospel. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Why? So that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the point of the gospel. To bring us to that understanding so that we can experience that life in his name. And this is the life-giving power that Jesus went on to claim here in this passage. Remember, Jesus had just performed an amazing miracle. He just healed a man who had been disabled for 38 years. But he said that because of the Father's love for him, he claimed, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. So what's greater than the instantaneous healing of a, ma- of a broken body that's been broken for 38 years. What's greater than that miraculous healing that he just performed? 
Well, Jesus says it's nothing less than resurrection power. Verse 21. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. The Son gives life. Now, one aspect of that, I think there's, there's at least two aspects here in this passage. One aspect of this is that Jesus was here, was claiming to have the power and authority to raise those who have died. He spoke about a final day. When every human being who's ever lived on this planet will be physically raised from the dead by Jesus. Verse 28, a time is, is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Now, of course, for everyone else, that would be an impossible claim, wouldn't it? Uh, last week I read some, uh, a really some fascinating and some pretty gruesome uh, research from the States, scientific research. Scientists managed to partially revive pig brains four hours after the animals had been slaughtered. So they'd kill the animal as, for food, you know, from, a, from an abattoir, take the head off, take the brain out, and then stuck it in some kind of solution with the pulsed, uh, some uh, chemicals and drugs through it. And they claimed that they were actually able to slow down or reverse the death of those brain cells. Sounds pretty cool, eh? Anybody like to do that kind of research? Not really, not me. Now, thankfully, those... Alison would, sorry. Uh, and thankfully, those brains, they, were, they weren't fully dead, but neither were they fully alive. They, they, they could say that they weren't conscious or not. Now, it's, it's amazing research, but that's nothing to what Jesus is claiming here. He is claiming to have the power and authority to completely overcome death. To raise people back to life who have been dead for years, for centuries. His claim is that he has the same life-giving power as his father. For as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son to have life in himself. Now, if anybody else was saying it, we would say, that's impossible. That's an impossible claim. You're mad. But Jesus proved that he had the power over death. In a little while, we're going to get to John chapter 11, eventually. Uh, And in there, Jesus proved the power over death because he went to Bethany. After, four days after his friend Lazarus had died. He was dead and buried and put in the tomb. Decay had set in. But he went to that tomb and he shouted, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus walked out alive of the tomb. But of course, the ultimate proof that Jesus has this power is what we remembered last week when he defeated death, when he rose from the dead on the third day. Remember last week we were looking at this, what the angel said in the tomb? He is not here. He has risen. Just as he said. 
So Jesus has this power. He's proved it. And so there is a time coming when he will, he will shout and everybody who has died will be raised to life. But we need to be clear here. This universal resurrection is not a universal salvation. For some people, it will be a resurrection so they can face a final judgment. Look at verse 29. Those who have done good will rise to live. And those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. This is a serious issue here, I know. But this final judgment will be just and it will be fair. There will be no cases of mistaken identity. No miscarriages of justice. Nobody will get off on a technicality. Those who have been, done good in their life, they will be given life in all of its fullness. And those who have been done evil will be condemned to lost eternity. That's because on that day, we'll not be judged by a jury of our peers. Neither will we stand before some imperfect human magistrate. Instead, we will stand before Jesus himself. The Father judges no one, verse 22, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Jesus is the final judge of this whole universe. And Jesus is the perfect judge. He says, my judgment is just. It's quite a, a stunning claim, isn't it? Especially in this situation. Because the Jews who were standing before him, they were judging him. They were condemning him. They wanted to kill him because he was claiming to be equal with God. But little did they know that one day the roles would be reversed. And they would stand before Jesus as their judge. And they would be judged by him. But we need to make, make sure that we don't miss the serious implication of this. Because it's not just those who are plotting to kill Jesus that will stand before Jesus and should be, condemned, should be concerned about that day of judgment. If this was the full story of the Bible, then each one of us should be filled with dread, with terror. Because in our own standing, we too are guilty before God. Each and every one of us. Apostle Paul made this really crystal clear in Romans chapter 3. Verse 10 he says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. No one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. So if this was the full story, on that basis, then none of us would be part of that group that's going to rise to live. Not one of us. All of us have sinned against God. 
All of us have done evil in our lives. All of us should then stand before Jesus as our judge and be condemned to a lost eternity. That's what we deserve. Each and every one of us. But we are here today to celebrate that Jesus is not just the judge of this world who will raise the dead and condemn the guilty. We're here to celebrate that he's also the saviour who offers life to all who come to him. So verse 24, that wonderful verse quoted a few times already in the last few weeks. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Do you get how amazing this gift is? Do you get how wonderful what Jesus has done for each one of us? This is a gift that's offered to everyone. See, it says, whoever hears my word. So it doesn't matter who we are this morning. It doesn't matter our background. It doesn't matter where we're from. It doesn't matter what we have or haven't done. This gift is offered to us. And that's because this gift is accepted through faith. Because it's forever who believes him. It's for all who believe in God. Who believe in his mission of sending Jesus to be our saviour. For each and every one of us. And if we do believe, then this is our present possession. This is the gift that God gives us right now. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Not may have, might have, we hope to have, but we have right now. We've been brought into that living relationship with God as our Father, Jesus as our Saviour, the Holy Spirit as our Counselor. It's a relationship that starts now and will go on forever. And so this gift is a future guarantee because we will not be condemned. We will not be condemned. Our sins have been cleansed if we've accepted this gift. Our debt has been cancelled. Our place in God's kingdom is certain. So no matter what happens, no matter what we or anybody else might do or say, we will never be judged guilty again. We do not need to live in terror of standing before a holy God and being and be condemned. Because we will not be condemned. Because we've come into a brand new life. We have crossed over from death to life. We're no longer dead in our transgressions and sins, but we are alive to God. This is the wonderful gift that Jesus offers to each and every one of us. This is the greater thing That Jesus is going to do and has done and wants to do in each of our lives. He is the one who can give life. 
Not just resurrection life in a day to come, but eternal life right now. So how are we going to respond to this this morning? What are we going to do in response to this wonderful truth about who Jesus is and what he can do? Well, Jesus tells us what we should do in verse 23. That all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. This is the only appropriate response, I think. If we recognise who Jesus really is, if we recognise that he is exactly like the Father, then we need to bow down before him and give him all the honour, all the glory, all the worship, all the praise that he alone deserves. And we need to accept him as our wonderful creator, as our awesome God, as our source of life, as our righteous judge, and as our risen Do you honour the Son as you should honour the Father? Have you accepted Jesus as your Saviour and Lord? Do you have eternal life? Do you know that you will not be condemned because you've already crossed over from death to life? If you don't, then you can experience that today. And if you have then let's live our lives as a living sacrifice to God, giving him everything that he alone deserves.